This week on Priority One, Picard is free! Star Trek delays due to COVID-19, and Star Trek cast and crew entertain us through the quarantine. In gaming news, we get our second look at the summer event ship's creation, discuss the changes to lower-tier ships and doff packs, and we have another round of interviews with the Star Trek Online team. This week, lead artist Scott Boyd and animator Weston Pierce. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 454 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode of Priority One was recorded live on Tuesday, March 24th, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, March 27th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kat. And I'm Tony. And in the audio booth is our chief engineer, Skiffy. Hello. And on this wonderful Tuesday evening recording session of Priority One, we are also celebrating Kat's birthday. Happy birthday, Kat. Thank Woo! you. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thanks. Before we jump into the news, we want to invite you to join in on the weekly conversations. Whether via social media platforms like Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, on Twitter or Instagram at Priority One Pod, or by email to incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. Captains, these are very difficult times for a lot of us. It is unprecedented what's happening around the globe at this time. So we understand that supporting something like Priority One is very low on anyone's list of things to give money to. Take care of yourselves. If you do want to support the show, one very free and easy thing to do is to share it with your friends, because that's the way we can help grow our community of Star Trek fans. Now, let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. Dig this. You're kicking it at home with Diddly Squat to do. You've heard about this rad show called Star Trek Picard. Sounds groovy, but you don't want to pony up the cabbage to peep it. Good news, buckaroo. Now you can watch it on the bubble. Okay, now that all that outdated vernacular is out of the way, here's what we're trying to say. The entire first season of Star Trek Picard is currently free. Entertainment Weekly reports Star Trek Picard will still require that you sign up for the free CBS streaming service, but you will gain access to Trek's newest offering by entering the discount code GIFT. Sir Patrick Stewart announced the giveaway on his Instagram account, saying, quote, It felt good to bring Picard back. Our Star Trek Picard season finale is Thursday, and starting today, until April 23rd, you can watch for free on CBS All Access in the United States with the code GIFT. 
Link in the bio to sign up. I can't wait to reunite with our cast and crew for season two. End quote. Links, of course, to where to sign up will be in our show notes. I got a question for you guys. For anybody that paid for this, does this feel like a slap in the face? I don't like the phrase slap in the face to begin with, so no. And it's probably just smart marketing on their part because they want Star Trek to be their horse that pulls the CBS All Access buggy. And as we've been saying a lot of time uh, or frequently, Picard's probably better as a binge anyway. So they, this is probably this is just smart marketing on their part. Everybody who wanted to pay for it paid for it. Now they need to get some more people in the door. Hopefully they'll watch it as a binge, think highly of it, come back for season two, or stick around till season two. Yeah, because you still have to put all your information in when you. I mean, it's only free for a month. So unless you're diligent about canceling your stuff, which honestly, who of us is really that diligent about doing that? Yeah, you'll probably have it for a while until you're like, what's oh, this Oh, so they're charge? counting on people to not cancel in that. I know, because it's a pain to cancel something like this. Like, I need to cancel Loot Crate, but have I? No. Uh, No, it's not a slap in the face. I don't feel I've been taken advantage of. I mean, sure, I guess a little bit, but I'm a big fan of canceling student debt. So anybody who complains about, oh, well, I paid mine. I just don't follow that same argument. So I'm not upset about it. I am upset, however, that CBS All Access has had three Star Trek shows. So it's been out for at least three years now. And they have not invested dollars into improving the web interface. It's unbelievable. If you're watching it on the web, if you're watching it from a browser, when you you pause it, it completely minimizes the episode. So if you were trying to pause it during a, a frame because you wanted to look at something in detail, can't really do that. It's just, I don't know. I They really need to improve CBS All Access. So yeah, I think like Tony, it's a, it's a smart idea to try to get people to either forget about their subscription or to keep them subscribed because they're like, ooh, so this is the Star Trek everyone's talking about. I just, I hope they do it through Roku or some kind of app on their phone because the web interface is just still subpar. Maybe they're waiting for the merger with Viacom to go, like the other, mer- like I thought they were going to expand. The, the library you know, merger. The stream. Yeah, the library. And maybe they were waiting for that type of uh, infusion of content to like update the interface because it is clunky. It is terrible. You can't pick up where you left off. You know, it's very hard to navigate. Yeah, it's really not the best service to be streaming. Your, your, your idea seems likely, Kat. I mean, that's, that's it would make sense for them to try to get the catalogs together and then launch that new interface that way. It's just it's good marketing, and for those of us who, uh, who, who did pay for the entire season of Picard, we are the people that justified them ordering Season 2, and we are the people that uh, ha- let them keep score appropriately to say, hey, we should invest more in this property and bring more of these shows online, because when we do, people subscribe. When is Star Trek Discovery Season 3 going to start? Well, it may not be as soon as we originally thought. Back in January, Heather Caden suggested to Trek Corps that Discovery Season 3 could be released as early as May 2020, but amid the COVID-19 pandemic, it looks like the series is facing delays. The holdup was first hinted at an Instagram live chat with Discovery star Wilson Cruz. According to comicbook.com, co-star Anthony Rapp noted in the comment section that the post-production work was being done from home, and the process was taking a bit more time than expected. On March 18th, Cruz seconded Rapp's sentiments, tweeting, quote, I didn't see at Albino Kids comment this morning on Instagram Live, but see for yourself in regards to Star Trek Discovery Season 3. It's coming, but it may be a little longer than we thought. It's coming, though, end quote. You can rest assured we'll be keeping a close eye out for release dates, so stay tuned. So, uh, actually, Skiffy, 
I kind of want to ask this question to you because, well, you work in the broadcast industry primarily as an audio engineer, but I'm curious. So the problem here isn't so much that they can't work from home, but it's rendering the effects. It's rendering down the visual effects and the, and the videos onto their machines. I have to imagine that they're, they've gone over to cloud by now, no? The, the rendering is an issue, yes, uh, for, a, for a project as large and as effects-heavy as Discovery. What I think is typically the larger problem is the library of assets. Mm. Because if you're in your home VFX shop, you've got every asset you need on a 10 or 40 gig network, and you can access everything easily, and you can work off the network, and you can have several people editing at once and rendering things at once off the same project. Uh, I gotta be honest, I don't know how you would do something as large and as effects heavy as Discovery from home. I mean, that's... I would imagine the way to do it is for them to remote desktop into their work computers and still work on their work computers remotely. But that would make the most sense in terms of, of rapid, like, getting your people on to do it, but that's not a pleasant experience. Right. Oh. So I, I have no idea how they're going to pull that off. Discovery Season 3 release date isn't the only Star Trek being delayed due to COVID-19. One of Trek's biggest conventions, Destination Star Trek Germany, is being pushed back as well. In a release, the Destination Star Trek Germany team said, in part, quote, our main concern is the health, safety, and well-being of our participants, guest stars, and everyone who is part of the DST family. For this reason, we have decided to postpone the event until October 9th to 11th, 2020. We hope that the virus will not be a problem until then, and that we can all beam into the world of Star Trek and celebrate together. Smiley face. End quote. The convention, which was set to take place in early May, will remain at the same location. From the release, quote, The venue in Dortmund is the same, and all tickets already purchased remain valid for the new dates. If you are unable to attend, the new dates, please contact us, end quote. For a link to the release, check out the show notes. That is so unfortunate, and I am afraid that Star Trek Las Vegas is also another convention with a bullseye on its back. I mean, it's it's unfortunate, but it's absolutely necessary. We don't often get political, but this is not about politics. This is about the health and safety of everyone. It's about math. It's about, about math. math. So um, I'm glad that they are taking proactive measures to make sure that the spread of this virus is not continued and that we can flatten those curves. Again, I can't help but think of STLV and how different STLV will be this year. Any convention moving forward. I mean, you've got San Diego Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con. New York Comic-Con today just uh, sent out an email to uh, professionals about professional tickets and panel submissions. And New York Comic-Con isn't until October, so they seem to be hopeful that people will be able to congregate again, but that still doesn't mean that people are not going to be traumatized by the events of what are happening currently. So yeah, the, the convention year is going to be unique for sure. I'm just looking forward to seeing everybody show up in spacesuit cosplay. Mm. <laughs> or as Jude Law's character in uh, in Contagion. I, I like I like the 60s uh, aluminum foil spacesuit thing. I think that's a nice trade-off between, you know, being able to see and interact with people and also have a piece of plastic in front of your face so nobody can sneeze on you. Well, that brings us to our first community question this week. Did you have plans of attending Destination Star Trek Germany? What about other conventions throughout 2020? Do you still have plans to attend those events? 
Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or just keep an eye on our social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter where we ask you these questions. In times of great stress, we look to our leaders for guidance and direction, calmness and support. Thank goodness we have our heroic captains, Kirk and Picard. Captain Kirk did something very William Shatner. He tweeted. Well, Shatner tweeted, but he tweeted in the form of a captain's log. Starting on March 18th, the logs began, quote, Captain's Log, Stardate 1 of Self-Imposed Isolation. After having arrived at Planet Home, I was warmly greeted by emissaries Espresso and Macchiato. I look forward to my planned respite from my normal duties. Kirk out. End quote. I have no idea who you were trying to mimic there. It went, <laughs> it's, a, it was, it's a bad it Kirk started, imitation. It started with, Can I we mean, try it you again? did the pauses. No, 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 no. Can we do it That's again? Staying. I'll do it again. Can we no, do no, it again? No, 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 no. That's staying. I don't care. If you do it again, I'm still going to have the original going. Because there was a little bit of Scotty. Then there was a little bit of Chekhov. You, like, went all check around off. the bridge. Chekhov? I didn't hear Wessels. <laughs> I didn't say no, you hear Wessels not once. Keep, keep it went in. all around keep the bridge. In. When you try for a Shatner and end up at an Elijah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Right, Love on. you, man. You did the Kirk out really good, though. Kirk out. Shatner has done a log every day since, including a supplemental, and we hope he continues until his 14-day isolation is complete. Not to be outdone, Sir Patrick Stewart also took to social media in an effort to distract and entertain. On March 21st, Sir Patrick tweeted a video of himself reciting Shakespeare's Sonnet 116. It was a beautiful performance and received its due attention, which Stewart recognized. Quote, I was delighted by the response to yesterday's posting of Shakespeare's Sonnet 116, and it has led me to undertake what follows. End quote. What followed was Stuart reciting Sonnet 1 and the next day Sonnet 2 with the hashtag a sonnet a day. There was no post for Tuesday, March 24th at the time of this writing, but we're hopeful and confident Sonnet 3 is on the way. I don't know who did it first, if it was Sir Patrick or Kevin Conroy, but you also have to go to Kevin Conroy's social media because he did a very similar thing. So to hear Bruce Wayne slash Batman reading a sonnet is just mind-blowing. So these are great. This is kind of what we were talking about in between takes about artists, whether they're professional, whether they're television stars, or they are your friends who work in theater, whether community or Broadway, they're all taking to social media to try to continue to entertain and distract from the things that are happening, right? That is the purpose of art. To, to teach and to entertain and to enlighten and to inspire. So kudos to all of them. Heading over to Instagram, Picard showrunner and Pulitzer Prize winning author Michael Shabon appealed to audiences young and old by reciting something different, children's books. Shabon started the read-along with the book he authored, The Astonishing Secret of Awesome Man. The videos continued with Strega Nona Meets Her Match by Tommy DePaola and have continued every day since. The delivery is gentle and excited and a wonderful activity to share with your children or even watch by yourself. Also on Instagram, fellow Picardian, Santiago Cabrera posted a video in which he and his ukulele perform a rendition of Bob Marley's Three Little Birds. It's another beautiful offering from a Star Trek alum. And his messages to us not to worry and stay inside are certainly worth taking to heart. Check out our show notes for the links. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now, let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. 
Captains, before we jump into the news in the world of Star Trek gaming, we have to thank our sponsor, GamePrint, the company that allows you to 3D print your starship from Star Trek Online. But you don't have to be a Star Trek Online player to take advantage of building your own customized armada of Starfleet vessels. All you have to do is visit GamePrint.net and explore an immense library of starships that have already been uploaded by other players. So I know that Tony, Kat, you have not yet purchased your own ship, but what would you get if you if you wanted to? D7. Tony, how about you? Oh, how are we going to do it? I'd get one of the ones from Star Trek Online because you can't get them anywhere else. You can you can get other models from other vendors, but the Star Trek Online ones I don't think are available anywhere else. Perhaps with the exception of the Enterprise F, but you know the Star Trek Online originals like the Avenger class battlecruiser, uh, you won't be able to get that anyplace else. That's true. And for instance, you're not going to be able to get the new Kittimer Alliance starship anywhere. The only way to get it is through game print. Just start shopping, start exploring their library, or log into the game, visit your ship tailor, and upload your favorite starship. Again, we thank GamePrint for their support of Priority One. This week on Twitch, Ambassador Kell hosted Christian Griffith, a cryptic test analyst, drawing his interpretation of a Rycian science vessel. This was the second of four weekly streams being presented by Cryptic in the design of the upcoming summer event prize ship. Christian worked with feedback from lead ship and UI artist Thomas Maroney this week. Unlike last week's stream featuring Nick Duguid at work on a 3D model, Christian put pen to paper to sketch his concept. While hitting on some of the same nautically inspired ideas as Nick's design, Christian took his drawing in a very different direction. After all four weeks of concept designs are completed, Cryptic will open up a voting contest to players. The winning design will be sent to concept artist Hector Ortiz for final drawing, and will then become the new summer event ship for 2020. If you'd like to watch the recorded stream with Kale, Christian, and Thomas, check out the Twitch link in our show notes. I call shenanigans. I bet this is like one of those house hunters or remodeling shows where the work's already been done and all the interviews are done and they're just, the ship's been complete and they're going to go back and, and they're, all they're showing us is old stuff. How dare you, sir? How, <laughs> how dare gonna, you? How are we going to vote on it then? They already have it. They're just, they're all set. All, all the ships are made. And oh, we're they just, just said these are the winners. So this is the ship. <laughs> so, so whichever one we vote on that wins is this year's ship. The other three are the next three year ships. Oh, pretty much. Hey, that could happen. <laughs> I, I like the rising ships because they go real fast. And I like science ships. So I'm interested in these ships. I think it's going to be really cool. Along with a 30% off sale and a promotion pack weekend recently, Cryptic announced a number of changes to duty officer packs for PC players. For starters, a new duty officer pack bundle has been added to the C store for 1000 Zen. The bundle includes one of each duty officer pack, Fleet, Delta, Gamma, and Romulan. The reinforcement duty officer pack has been retired, though its toughly freighter reward has been moved to the Gamma pack. Each of the four remaining packs will now include an additional uncommon officer and an additional rare officer. The 4X fleet ship models formerly available as a chance reward from the Delta pack have been removed, and the odds of a bonus trait reward in that pack have increased. Individually, the four duty officer packs will have a regular C-store price of 300 Zen. You know what's been due for an overhaul? The duty officer system. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So I'm... I mean, maybe, is this a harbinger maybe? Because they're like, we need to reorganize this and make it all better and stuff because maybe there's something in the pipeline. 
Fingers crossed. Well, that brings us to our next community question this week. Which Star Trek Online duty officer is your go-to officer for your favorite builds? Let us know in the comments section over at PriorityOnePodcast.com or share with us your Stowe Academy build, if that's what you use, to plan out your characters. I have a specific one, but depends on your build, though, I guess. I guess there are specific ones for specific builds. I got lazy. I just have one that I, I just never change them. Oh. It's the, the brace for impact guy and the torpedo guy and like a couple other ones. That just I always have buttons for those. So Well, I've been working on torpedo builds. So, yeah, you can get some really good duty officers from the fleets, too. So don't forget to check your fleet stores. I do ox to bat, so I use three for that. I was about to say, yeah, I've got my ox to bat build, and so I've got Dolmer, the, uh, the technicians. Marion, Dolmer. And then, yeah, and then um, actually the new Borg duty officers from the lockbox are pretty good. Oh, those uh, are really good duty officers. Yeah. So if you can afford them on the exchange or if you know you want to leave it in the hands of RNG Jesus, you can open up Borg lockboxes to get those. Collect all 47. <laughs> Gotta catch them all. Duty officers weren't the only adjustments made by the Stowe team. Cryptic announced Tuesday that Tier 1, 2, 3, and 4 ships will be purchasable for dilithium. Those lower tier ships currently available to purchase via the ship vendor for Dilithium will have prices significantly slashed, while Tier 1 through Tier 4 ships in the Zen store will be offered for Dilithium. For a closer look at the numbers, the current price of a Tier 1 to list Warbird is currently 4250 Dilithium from the ship vendor. The new price? 1000 Dilithium. A Tier 1 Tavaro Light Warbird is on the Z store for 500 Zen. Converting that at the current rate of 404 Dilithium per Zen, that's 202,000 Dilithium. After the change drops later this week on PC, the new cost will be 15,000 Dilithium. Pretty significant discount. But it isn't all good news. At the time of release, which is due out on console April 9th, the Tier 1 prototype Light Cruiser Explorer will not be made available for Dilithium. That's the Shenzo for anyone keeping score. Also, any ship purchased via Dilithium after the change will not be an account unlock. It's per character only. For a link to the Star Trek Online article, which offers a breakdown of all four affected tiers, check out our show notes. So I think for this episode... I want to merge our feedback segment with this discussion because uh, that is what dominated this this new uh, announcement is what dominated our feedback on social media. So in lieu of feedback, we're going to share your comments about this topic now. So Mike McLeod on Facebook said, at this point in Stowe's longevity, I would make all level 1 to 25 and 35 ships free. Most of Stowe's money comes from end game purchases. How will this impact veteran players? It will not have any impact. Veteran players already have the resources which they need to buy these ships. Unless you are an obsessive compulsive, the lower tier ships are useless. I tend to agree. I mean, if, even if you're an alt person who has a you know an, an, a never-ending list of alternative characters or backup characters or third and fourth and fifth characters, do people still use those? I will. I like this for the fact that I can get the rest of my admiralty cards. So I'm a little bit of obsessive, at least on the admiralty card spot. But I'll, I might, I'll die, I'll either dry dock these or pitch them once I get it. Yeah, I still like to claim them for admiralty because it gives you options. But I don't fly any of those ships because you can scale tier six ships now. So, yeah, there's really no reason for these to exist anymore. But the ones that were in the sea store had some nice consoles 
yeah. So losing that as an account unlock is kind of yeah sad. That's a thing. Well, that's what Astro Alligator pointed out to us via Twitter that yes, you can cheaply obtain tier three and tier four ships. But having said that, they say with the dawn of scaling tier six ships, this is really just making the special consoles cheaper to get for new and old players alike. But you guys are saying that now these are no longer going to be account unlock. You buy it with Dilithium and it's character bound. Correct. Unless you've already purchased it with Zen, in which case it remains account unlock. If you don't have it already and you're going to buy it with Dilithium, then it's a character per character option. And this makes a lot of sense. It's it's a time currency, so you want it per character. You spend time in that character, you're in the Dilithium with that character, that ship is unlocked for that character. And I mean, in theory, let's say you have three primary tunes that you play with, right? Let's say you have one Klingon, one Romulan, and one Federation, right? And those are your, your three go-tos. That's still cheaper than converting Dilithium to Zen, right? Let's say you do have to purchase those ships three times. If we said that it's 15,000, then you're only at 45,000 because you've bought them three times for three different factions, three different characters, versus one ship at 202,000 Dilithium, right? Yeah, I mean, the Dilithium price would have to fall to 100 Zen, or sorry, 100 Dilithium per Zen in order for the math to even start to look bad. This is a headline number cheaper, um, but I, and I think the math works for Cryptic as well because I don't think that having lots of alts is necessarily good for their business model necessarily. I think it's an overhead on their database and all that kind of stuff. They'd rather have people play a lot of time on a single character, or maybe three, like you said, one one for each faction. But I think the, the, the multiple alt thing isn't something they necessarily want to encourage. And Winters in the chat screams, this change should lower the Dilithium to Zen price too. Yeah, which is, I think, the kind of the goal, like, because the Dilithium exchange had been so out of control lately. Like, they've really taken some serious steps to get that lowered. So I think that's a positive. Yeah, it's a definitely a dilithium sink. You know, it, it'll it should make dilithium more in demand, which would lower the uh, the Zen dilithium conversion. Well, captains, thank you so very much for engaging with us on social media. We're so very glad to have had your opinions and comments about this big change coming to the availability of ships and how to purchase them in Star Trek Online, at least through Tier 4. So thank you so very much. Moving on, if you caught our show last week, you've already heard many of Alorvera's thoughts on the Star Trek Online anniversary episode's Measure of Morality. And now Cryptic has released their own behind-the-scenes video on YouTube to celebrate the episodes. Lead designer Al Rivera was joined at the discussion table by senior content designer Jesse Heinig, lead environment artist Scott Boyd, animator Weston Pierce, and environment artist David Lopez. Well, Captains, we're not going to go into the nitty-gritties of this video because we want to encourage you to head on over to their YouTube channel to watch it. And of course, be sure to listen to our interview with Al Rivera that we published with episode 453. And then just keep playing this episode because we've got Star Trek Online's lead artist, Scott Boyd and animator Weston Pierce joining us to talk about their experiences over the last six months. Coming up for the weekend of April 9th through April 13th, Star Trek Online will have a bonus Dilithium weekend. During that weekend, players will receive a bonus 100% extra Dilithium ore from mining and 50% extra from other content that rewards Dilithium ore. It's a great time to stock up on Dilithium for Phoenix boxes or the Zen Exchange. But if you're looking to exchange Dilithium for Zen, you might want to keep an eye on the exchange rate. It's usually not at its best return during these events. 
This week in Armada News, if you weren't aware, we have an event going on Thursdays. So join us for TFO Thursdays. Yeah, so we changed it from Tuesday to Thursday, but we do hope you join us on Thursdays. And uh, yeah, I love earning marks because, you know, you need to get gear from your reputations. Uh, but in other Armada News, Epsilon Fleet is still working on its Tier 5 colony upgrades. So well done, Epsilon. We've got our, our most recent upgrade on cooldown and the same for House of Mars. Talk, where it has its third tier five colony on cooldown. So well done. And we have a big announcement and I'll talk more about it next week, but the month of April is mirror month for uh, the priority one armada where we enter the Terran empire and we all take on our empire Terran personas. So keep an eye out for that because we have giveaways and events and all kinds of cool stuff going on. In other gaming news... Scopely, the studio behind Star Trek Fleet Command on mobile, has announced via VentureBeat.com that they have secured another $200 million in funding. The latest funding for Scopely brings their fourth round investment funding total to $400 million. According to the article, Scopely says that they are committed to bringing people together around the world, particularly now that it's so important to do so online. Besides Fleet Command, Scopely also develops hits like Scrabble Go and Marvel Strike Force. That's it for this week in gaming news. Now we welcome Star Trek Online's lead artist Scott Boyd and animator Weston Pierce. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. Captains, in another very special episode of Priority One Podcast, we are joined by Star Trek Online's lead artist, Scott Boyd, and Star Trek Online's animator, Weston Pierce. Thank you both so very much for joining us on this very special episode of Priority One Podcast. I'm really eager to talk with you all about the amazing work you've been doing in Star Trek Online. Well, I'm really excited to talk about it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Welcome. Before we begin, actually, why don't you both introduce yourselves so that that way I've, people have a voice to the name. My name is Weston Pierce. I'm the animator for Star Trek Online. And my name is Scott Boyd, and I'm the lead environment artist for what, what's what is Star Trek Online, right? Yeah. Magic the <laughs> Gathering? Is that what it is? Yeah, 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 yeah that's it. <laughs> well, again, thank you so very much. All right, so I, I kind of want to jump right into uh, talking about the 10th anniversary. Last we spoke, actually, I think Scott, last you and I spoke, and Weston. And Weston, was, yeah. Uh, for our 400th episode, when I was there on site, we were talking, you know, about just kind of the nature of designing for Star Trek Online, and we talked a little bit about Discovery. Now, not only do you have Discovery, but you also have star trek picard happening at the same time yeah i'm curious you know alice talked a little bit with us about you know some of the access that you have to some of the assets from the episodes but how has picard changed the way you design for the game well i think for sure it's given us a different uh shape language for things i guess i think the big thing too also continues to push the idea of high quality for us. I, mean, I don't know if you guys have watched, you probably will have watched the latest episode uh, when you guys watch this, but man, they're spending some bucks on the, on the special effects for that. So yeah. I'm really, mm -hmm. as an environment artist, excited about what we can do, given access from CBS to uh, maybe potentially get the ship that 
um, you're seeing in Picard, just all the stuff that we can do uh, in the environments uh, for that. Uh, we've already, you know, you guys have played the anniversary, so we got the Jerry, Jerry Ryan Seven of Nine costume that we were able to kind of incorporate into the game. So that's our, that, you know, transition has already started, and I look forward to seeing what else we can do in the future with it. Um, only thing I could say really is I'm excited for all the things that we're seeing in the new series as well because it's it's adding a lot of moving pieces that can be animated for weapons, for ships, for environments that we haven't had in the game for a long time. Practically every ship we have now has some sort of moving part to it. So it's a kind of a neat puzzle each time now. Weston, you've been doing such a phenomenal job with the with the animation for Star Trek Online. I mean, it just it's it after 10 years, these animations still surprise even the most veteran players. I mean, really is what it boils down to. You have such a great cinematic eye that just brings the story to life. What, if anything, are you doing comparatively to when you're watching something like Discovery or Picard on CBS All Access? Are you trying to kind of emulate certain things, bring what's happening on screen into Star Trek Online, so to speak? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, especially when uh, with the last season of Discovery. There are a number of camera shots and angles and techniques that they use that we try to emulate when dealing with Discovery content. Kind of like when we did Beneath the Skin, um, that flashback that Stamets has was very Discovery-inspired um, when he's remembering all the things from the mycelial network. With the anniversary, uh, Weston, you, we did the uh, the Red Angel capture. Yes, that too. And he made sure to do a uh, kind of a shot-for-shot recreation a little bit or our version of yeah, that? Yeah, that, that was practically a complete recreation of that scene. Yeah. Yeah, that scene was amazing, and both versions of Michael Burnham were so good. I mean, it was fantastic. Yeah. How do you approach that, creating, you know, recreating almost shot for shot something like what we've seen on Discovery? Um, that's a, that's a complicated question because <laughs> each kind of scenario is very different. <laughs> But like that that Red Angel shot, right? Like, are you going kind of frame by frame with Discovery and trying to make sure that the, the what's the technical term? Tune? I call them tunes. What's the, 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 the body of the character is emulating? Like, what do you, you know, what's going on there? Well, for that shot in particular, um, see, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this. Is there like a cheat? Like you, you can put, you can play the video and then just kind of overlay it. Like if I, I'm a terrible, that would be nice. I'm a terrible artist and I cheat like that. It's like, I'll just trace something. Just to trace it on the top. I mean, we, we, we do do that occasionally. That is what video reference is for. So, I mean, that is how I got the timing of like the beams turning on to be the same and the same amount of shots look at the number of frames in the show to be like okay this is like 1.268 seconds long or whatever that kind of stuff otherwise it's using just kind of trickery to how you set up the nodes and the animation to line up with what you see in the show and then position the cameras to line up with that as well so you only see what you're supposed to see right and unfortunately because our engine is you know we're an older game so we don't have all the new bells and whistles it's a lot of just weston's perseverance to kind of make sure that he gets the shot to look the same so it's a lot of just weston's blood sweat and tears to get it to look that way when we ran the mission i uh there's that cutscene on iconia where uh to slams you against the wall that is one of my favorite cutscenes that i did in the anniversary 
Yeah, and I'm like, I wonder if Weston had to throw himself against the wall to catch because because you do, right? You do some motion cap yourself, don't you? I do record myself to animate it. I didn't throw myself against a wall, thankfully. Oh, I did that. <laughs> it was so much fun. Yeah, that that that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he, uh, Scott here got to got to play guinea pig for some stuff we're doing just the other day. Yeah, because we got new motion capture technology, so now we can uh, that'll take our, our animations to another level, which is really good. And it'll save Weston some time, and he can focus on other, the other things that we really can't motion uh, motion capture, like ships and whatnot. Oh wait, so okay, so can you talk to us a little bit about that? This you know these new technologies that you get, and you know how do you hope that it you know it'll improve the game, or how do you hope it'll improve these animations? So. We haven't actually used the motion capture just yet. So everything in the anniversary, that wasn't motion capture. But this new technology, it is, it's something we haven't tried yet before, but we're very hopeful for it so far. It's gotten really good promising results. We're still ironing out a few issues, but so far it, it looks like it's gonna significantly help improve workload and quality. Right, and then we'll be able to do things like new uh, ambient animations. You can have more variety for stuff. Little subtle things, like there was one shot, but there was something we did where we're running and I, I, I played the part and I tripped and fell and then I had to get up and move again. And there's a lot of weight shifting that happens yeah. that as an animator, that stuff's really hard to replicate. Yeah. And when you're motion capturing it, it's like, wow, look at how that you and, and some people may not really notice it. But me as an artist, I notice that stuff. I know how hard it is to get in there. So if we can get that little subtlety to add to our, our cutscenes to take it just that next level of quality, I'm, I'm sure people will appreciate it. It's one of the funniest things because you'll you you think that an animation like an idol, for example, of just someone standing, that that would be super easy because there's not a lot of movement. And yet, just for example, the, the idol that Stamets has, that took approximately <laughs> like almost two and a half days to complete. Whereas one, just one of the very complex attacks that you can do with uh, the Lobby Store Jailus staff, that took like three hours. It's significantly different. Idol as in the character just standing still? Yeah, the I like in standing contact still. Dialogue box. Yeah, in the contact oh. dialogue box, looking back and forth, the emotions, the head, and all that kind of stuff. Getting that subtle detail is actually significantly harder than doing broad sweeping motions. It's exactly opposite of what you'd expect. Now, if we had them in house and we could record that, that would be fantastic to get some of that subtle movement that matches right. kind of their personality. Because you see um, with, and Weston always does a really good job of covering this, uh, with Michael Burnham's uh, cuts uh, contact dialogue box stuff, the way she's positioned in her shoulders and stuff, that's just Weston caring and really putting the time in to make sure that he kind of gets that same feeling that she had. And uh, and you could see that like when we did Tilly and we did all, uh, there were some other ones. Well, Garrick, I think Garrick was the first one that you did. That Garrick was, like, was the big, first one. Yeah. Wow, look at what we can do. And all yeah. the eyes and whatnot. And so that's just Weston really wanting the game to feel like these are real, the real characters in there. Obviously, again, with a, a motion capture, we could just get those quickly, but those take time because we don't have the actors in-house to do that. And they're important animations too, because I mean, like you, you speak through the contact dialogues for a huge portion of the missions in the game. So they are something that you see that defines the character a lot. So. And my understanding was that there had to be some trickery done for the uh, Rock Lobster Excalbion, right? <laughs> yeah, why don't you go into that one, Weston? That was pretty interesting. Yeah, um, well, I mean, where do you want me to begin with that exactly? Uh, well, I was talking about the like the blinky 
bulbs on his head. Oh my gosh. That, uh, yes. That was that was interesting how he did that. I full disclaimer, I didn't think it was going to work when I did it. I was a little bit of a Hail Mary, but it worked. <laughs> so You know, it's 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 so interesting to me to hear you guys talk about these things, right? Because as players, you know, we're playing the game and we enjoy it. We just consume the content. It's not often that we think to ourselves, you know, I wonder how they made his head blink as he's talking, right? It's this is not something we've necessarily seen before, but now what you're what you're describing is something that was actually not an easy click of a button. No, it wasn't. And to be honest, I, uh, so we have this thing called, has Al talked to you about gum chewing? I've, that, I, yeah, I think that's what he mentioned about how the mechanic works for so there's some kind of algorithm math that basically hears what you're saying and kind of does his faux mouth movement stuff and then weston of course because he's weston he'll take certain moments he'll actually lip sync it so that the he turns the gum chewing off and then he'll make the mouth do exactly so like one of the ones uh in patel's death sequence is when she says i love you when uh lorca says what whatever like oh yeah that too that was a he, he animated that specifically. But um, for this particular case, he hooked up the blinking lights to the gum chewing. So whenever you hear the Excalbian talk, it's not his mouth moving, it's the lights blinking to do that. Right. So yeah. it was, I, when he told me about it, I was like, what the heck, that's awesome. Well, it really comes across because, you know, you're like, oh, he's talking because stuff's happening. It's so good. Right, he has no mouth. Yeah. So how is he going to show that? Yeah. <laughs> So in some ways, that was kind of the old school Star Trek guys going, well, we're not going to give them a mouth. How do we make them understand that he's actually talking? And that's a good visual cue to kind of show that. So props to them back in the 60s. Let's talk a little bit about some of the characters, right? And the character creation that was done for the 10th anniversary. Of course, Seven got an update. Why don't we talk a little bit about up bringing Seven to this century, this decade in, in Star Trek history? as opposed to where we were during the DS9 during the DS9 content released for Star Trek Online. It was an interesting conundrum. So I, I will say when they were they're releasing this, the, tr- the first trailer for Picard and we see kind of where things are and we know that, hey, this this is in the same time frame as our game. We were looking at kind of going, we, what are we going to do? Because our Seven of Nine looked like the Seven of Nine from Voyager. It didn't look like this. So it's kind of an exciting thing, but it's a little kind of scary because they're changing our canon a little bit. But um, it was kind of nice because it allowed us to really, We ha- now we have a new version that we can start. We can really kind of, because that was made a few years ago. Now we can say, okay, we're going to spend some time. We're going to sculpt this person. We're going to we're going to get her hairstyle the way we. And now we we had to do better hair, so we can update that character, which can then update some of our random stuff that we can give away to our players. So like now we have new hair, we can give her hairdo away. We can get the costume that she's wearing, and we can give that. I think we gave that away as a as a giveaway. Is that right? Did we do that? Not Seven's costume. Uh, we didn't get that. Okay, we didn't give that. Okay, well. Oh, I love the hair. We do do the. Um, the top hat and the mini top hat, which I am obsessed with. <laughs> so, and we'll go more into that l- later in the as we talk about Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, it was it was neat to kind of get her her new costume, and we can because we have this new up res quality for our game, we can just give a new version of uh, Seven of Nine, and now we can. I think at some point we'll probably swap. We'll do a swap. Maybe I, I can't. Don't quote me on that. We've discussed doing that for the older missions, bringing her into that version as well. But I don't know that for a fact. So that was the, the, the fun thing about being able to do that. Now, Wesley, why don't you talk about 
being able to kind of animate her with the new rig and with the new, uh, now you know what she looks like. And then with the new contact dialog boxes, you want to kind of match her look. Yeah, Seven always had a very specific way of how she looked and did things and how she carried herself in the show. And I wanted to try to emulate that with the animations, obviously. Given how she is now in Star Trek Picard, we also wanted to try to emulate that as well. So given the mixes of what we see in the trailer, what we see in the shows, and uh, the old shows as well, all together into, into one thing. Actually, we talked a little bit about watching the show and then bringing it, bringing in some of the mannerisms of the actors and whatnot. We had not yet seen Seven as a as an audience in Star Trek Picard. Was that a challenge for you? And you know, trying to bring her man, her new mannerisms. Like, I guess the other question too is, did you talk to Jerry Ryan? Did you, or did you have access early screenings to Picard or something like that to, to be able to do that? Were you? We had some access. We were definitely there working with Paul because she spoke differently. Our writer was definitely like, is she going to be saying a lot more or talking a little less? I guess you would say we, there's no we's anymore. She's I, she's uh, more of an individual now. So we wanted to make sure Paul, when he was writing the lines, make her sound like what she was doing in the show. But at the time, we didn't know. We're not always, we don't always get all the stuff from CBS specifically. And that was one of the things we had to kind of wait a little bit till closer to the end before we recorded to finally go over what her script was and how she would say things. So we did a review beforehand and asked her, hey, how would you say this? And how would you say that? And there was one one thing we can I can talk about this because again the episode has already come out when we were recording her and we were doing the, the poor queen moment when she was talking she was like you know I'm not supposed to tell you this but there's going to be a, a, a <laughs> time in the show when she's going to be poor queen so I'm going to say the lines that way so this, I'm going to change your lines a little bit I'm like right okay we had no idea about that great and so when it was really neat when she recorded those lines they were very different and it was, it was like this is cool. This is super awesome. So kind of in the recording session, got that little hint of uh, that little uh, Easter egg. Not Easter egg, but uh, a little uh, spoiler, I guess. Spoiler for us. When, yeah, we didn't know at the time. So when she recorded, it was really cool to find that out. So Michael Burnham has two versions as well in this episode. Uh, you've got current Burnham, the way we have seen her in Star Trek Discovery Season 2 and 1 and 2. And then you guys pulled from what we saw in the trailer future Burnham after spending quite some time marooned and she's got longer hair. Was that a quick change? It was like, was that something like, oh, we gotta, we get, it's future Burnham. We gotta add, we gotta give her, we gotta give her the long hair. It was one of those decisions when we saw it in the, the season three trailer, we said, we gotta do this, but we weren't sure whether or not it was gonna work or not. So it was one of those, yes, it was a quick, like you said, it was a quick turnaround to get that. We knew we wanted something to make her feel aged. So you've got a, a Discovery and a, a Red Angel version of it. So there's a huge discrepancy between the two characters. It was one of those kind of like, let's see if we can do it. Cross fingers and hope. And it turned out we were able to get it in there. I just thought it was great. And so we were also too, when we recorded with her, to be honest, she was absolutely one of my favorite people to record with. I, I got to be in the room for that. And she was so kind and so sweet. And so she took direction super well. And we were like, you know, how, we have you be a little more gravelier when you talk with the red angel one because you're older and so she was really game to try that kind of stuff and yeah that was super neat to be able to, to incorporate that, that into the uh, into the game there's that moment in the animation where she screams do it do it now i presume that was one of those moments where you had to weston where you had to do the the mouth thing for to make it match the words 
Yeah, in general, I, I try to do that whenever there's a moment where there's like really important or meaningful dialogue that you get a close up of. And with little with little to little words, like not like big. That, yeah, that too. <laughs> little words are easier. So you we got a Borg Iconian. How fun was that to put together? That was freaking awesome. I've played the game myself for eight years. So like this was everything that I am a fan of in this game culminated into one character. <laughs> So that was that was an experience in itself, but um, it was an interesting experience trying to figure out how to animate both Taket, who we've seen to be very aloof, I guess would be the right word, while also the Borg would also be more forceful and direct, and bringing those two qualities into the same animations. Yeah, and it was. I remember we went over that cutscene pretty hard to make sure we wanted this sense of like Taket because. Or, uh, yeah, Taket being this form of a kind of Christ-like, Akiv is more of worshiping her. Uh, so that shot where she's raising up and then he's below her, that kind of sim- symbolism there. Yeah, it was it was really cool. And then when we saw the rig come in for that, and just wow, oh, that's really neat. And I and I know that the players really really appreciated that idea that the idea of her becoming a Borg. And I just remember watching some of the walkthroughs and people just freaking the heck out when that happened. Now, when you do something like that with an existing character, is it does it get storyboarded, or at that point, since you have it, the asset already created in the game, you're just kind of attaching other Borg pieces? For that particular one, I thought we didn't do like a, a paint over. We just kind of slightly designed it. We let Ian run with that. I think we, Weston, are you from, do you know? I mean, I don't, I don't remember how long it took, but Ian took direction from our art director on that to say like what he wanted, and Ian busted that out in like two days. Like, I was really impressed with how fast that turnaround was for Borg to get. Right. Yeah. And it's funny, that whole scene, there was some there was some weird stuff to kind of figure out with that, because there, there's, there are still some limitations with our engine, and we were under time restraints and whatnot. So we were like, you know, you have the, the, the stone that we want her to, to take. We're like, how are we going to do that? And then we did this whole thing where she just kind of uses the force and <laughs> grabs it and takes it. And I'm like, are people, people going to be okay with that? Is that going to feel weird? My rebuttal of that was, it's an Iconian. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we just went with it and nobody said anything about it. So we're like, yes, it's okay. Space magic. Yeah, yeah. right. Space magic. <laughs> but I mean, and so it was cool. And we, we'll just kind of storyboard it. And Weston will throw it out there. And then the first cut of it, he added that little bit of, you know, she's she's holding it and pulls it out of her hands. And it's those little those little life moments that kind of add to the scene, which was yes, great. Yes, yes. And uh, yeah, we had, we had some other, you know, in the first draft, there was some confusion when she grabs it and then the body, where the camera angle does, this is, doesn't make sense. So there were some changes that had to go later on. But, you know, the initial, one was pretty solid when when he first showed us you mentioned the camera angle and the cinematography to these animations are just they're, they're that they're cinematic right and i and i remember with the playthrough with al it was the end of part two and so we were walking into the queen cell and the camera shakes with the walk like it that, at least that's what it seemed like to me so it wasn't just them walking and the st- and a steady camera but the camera walked along with the characters which i thought was an excellent touch an amazing touch well we can add weston you want to reveal the secret about that so yeah um we have we, we have tricks to do that it's not terribly an easy thing to do but what essentially is happening is i'm assuming you're talking about the shot between seven and michael yes yeah yeah 
talking to each yeah. other. Yeah. So what's what's going on there is the camera is looking at both the heads of Seven and Michael in the same shot, and then mathematically determining where the center of those two at the same time is, and then focusing on that, which gives us a nice docu-cam kind of bobbing motion that we see in a lot of media today. But that's a ghost camera, right? You're using a ghost. Yeah. Camera. Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about kind of what the ghost camera is and why you use those cameras? Yeah, um, ghost cameras are kind of like, for lack of a better term, more controllable cameras based on bone positioning for different rigs. So you can have it set up on the same rig or on different rigs, or in this case, um, an animated camera that was looking at, at just a normal uh, bone itself and the camera itself wasn't looking at anything because you control where the camera is and where it's looking as two separate entities. It, essentially, it just allows us to do a lot more complex kind of camera motions and dynamics with it. With um, Imagine as like a, a, a steady cam that's following the player or the the, the character that you attach to. And what that does is it, it gives the movement a little bit for free because it's just following the, the character it's attached to. So that's why you see that little bouncing a little bit because the character is doing that. So it's just following along. Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent example. The reason behind doing some, sometimes we have to do that is because those ghost cameras are attached to, maybe sometimes they're attached to the player. And because your player can be whatever height you want it to be, that camera will shift based on that. So if you have, because there are shots where you'll see, hey, the camera is not hooked to a player, it's hooked to, it's just static. Maybe the, the player is really short and it'll, his head will be out of the shot or his head will be below the camera or above the camera. So there's using the ghost camera kind of forces the, the camera to always be focused on most of the time the player because then scale their, their character. We do use it for other scenarios too, though. For example, uh, in the Mandel prison, when Landry is rushing over to save a car from falling off the ledge after the station is attacked, that was a very complex animated camera that's using a ghost cam that is focusing on an invisible rig that is also looking at Landry that is moving and animated to go up and around and then look down at the same time between two separate animations at the same time, which would normally be practically impossible to do within our engine just through normal means. Did you figure that out, Weston? Was that something that you figured out or was that something that our other animators? Yeah, it was something I figured out, though um, the animator before me also showed me uh, examples of how to do this in uh, different ways as well. Yeah, but that's Weston, you just kill me. You're so smart. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Uh, that brought up a, a, a good point. There are players who do some phenomenal capture of the game using a tool like Demo Record, but I presume that you're not just using Demo Record. No. It's it's funny that you say that, actually, because while we're not using Demo Record, uh, Demo Record is actually very similar to some of the tools that we do use. It's like when I started working for Cryptic, I was actually rather surprised with how the cutscene editor worked, or at least how its camera system worked, because I almost knew how half of it worked because I had used Demo Record previously. There's a lot of, just to, to be brutally honest, there's a lot of sometimes bashing the head, our heads on walls because our cutscene editor is not what I would love it to be. There's a lot of things where we have to kind of guess. We can't do things in real time, so we'll, we'll place a light in a cutscene rather than it being just in the world. And I want to see how the player reacts to it. Uh, well, we have to just place it and play the scene rather than like, hey, let me see it in real time move through the scene. There are some limitations that I wish our, our engine would get the time to do it, but, you know, we have a lot of things that we'd like to get. That's one of those want, like to haves, not the need to have. We always find ways to make things work, though, I think. Right. Yeah. 
my understanding, Weston, is that you are using the same tools that your predecessors used, and you are creating animations that are just for a ten-year-old game. It just is so cinematic and phenomenal that that's just crazy. That's just crazy. I mean, it's definitely a testament to your creativity and your problem solving. I guess. I think it too was that we we now realize the importance of that. I think there wasn't a. A priority, priority one, uh, <laughs> put on, put on uh, uh, the cutscenes before, and I think once we started like really storyboarding these things out and, and understanding how much storytelling you can get through the cutscenes, that, that really uh, they put a priority on that, and um, also makes for good marketing as well. So throw those in the trailers and whatnot and they get people excited about it. I want to talk a little bit about environment because we just recently got an, uh, some overhaul on uh, Borg environments, right? So we saw uh, Into the Hive and, you know, those ground cues got a bit of a facelift. Mm-hmm. And then we go to Picard and it's a whole bunch of li- a living Borg cube. Honestly, yeah, living, right? I, we could call it living. Yeah, I, so, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, we got our work cut out for us because I saw that and go, well, our environments don't look like that. So, okay. <laughs> so, well, let me ask you that. You know, is that something that for future content, if there happens to be, if it happens to take place in a, in a Borg environment on the ground, you know, will you try to create what we saw in Picard? Of course, that that would be, why not? I mean, they've, they've kind of, now it, it would be a huge endeavor. Uh, it would take a lot of work to get there. It's very different language than what we've seen before because there's not the hoses and the kind of alien greeble that we normally see with some of the other stuff. So it'll be different. Org assimilated Apple this time. Right, right. That's, right, that's what happened. Right. So, exactly. So um, it, it's going to be a challenge, but I'm looking forward to it if we ever get a chance to work on some Borg stuff. Um, but it was nice to really get a chance to look at our Borg content because sorry as in it's it's old and we were we were still kind of learning as artists how to model and do techniques and i looked at those things and i said we can do better and it can, even just in lighting and materials and the nice thing with the, the borg stuff that we did do we didn't do i didn't remodel anything i just added to what we had to i toned down some of the uh the, the lights and so there's a lot of dark and light and I, I love that kind of environment of contrast where you've got you bring some dark and then you pull the lights up so there's just there's lots of just interesting things to look at you can focus your attention in particular areas rather than just hey i'm seeing everything because i maybe i want you to look down the hallway so i'm going to put a light at the end of the hallway rather than just having the entire hallway brought up and there was so much kind of greeble and kind of depth to the environments that it made my my life e- my job easier because there was so much cool greeble that if I just went in there and just kind of touched it up a little bit and then threw the lights in there, it accentuated that. So it was it wasn't super hard to get in there and do that. The problem, the hard part was, which was problematic, was we did all this work for the anniversary and we redid the end of the hive, but that was in an we call them branches. That was in an older branch. So I had to roll all that stuff that we were going to send out for the anniversary and put it in the older map. And that proved to be a little much of a pain in the butt, but we got it done and it was fine, but it was just kind of a pain. Hey, shh. <laughs> um, but it was nice to be able to see that. Now, again, me as an artist, I was like watching somebody play into the hive and I was like, I'm waiting for them to say like, wow, look at, they revamped the, the Borg map. Nope. Nobody, they didn't say a word. And I was like, Sad face. Nobody cares about my upgrades. 
but I'm sure some people did. But yeah, I watched. Uh, we did it in the Armada. Like the minute we were able to play those, like that's the first thing we went to play. Oh, good, good. Well, I'm glad you liked. Yeah, it was a huge <laughs> I did. Thing they were great. When I saw it, because we we I played the old version of the map and the new version. And I was like, this feels like thick pea soup, and it's just like kind of makes me nauseous. And then I go to the new one with all there's all the darks and lights, and I'm like, yeah, this feels so much better. So I appreciated it. Yeah, it's great. Let me ask you, so you're watching Picard and all of a sudden the Borg have, it's a living cube, right? I guess is really the only way to describe it. Are you immediately thinking, how do I, how am I going to do that? Yes. I mean, mm. I, I do that a lot. Let me rephrase the question. Is it an excited, ooh, how am I going to do that? Or, oh, how am I going to do that? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah, I think it's both. <laughs> I mean, I, you're always excited about a new challenge, but then you think about how are we going to do that and where are we going to get the the time to do that just being smart you know well, i think we'll, we'll we'll come up with a game plan of how we we do that whenever that comes up as a ooh and what about the la serena sorry elijah la serena with the holographic uh controls <laughs> she's apologizing because it's not the la serena it's just la serena <laughs> it's very cool and i love it but it's like Okay, you, we had the discovery panels, which were glass, which we'd never seen before. Now we're doing this like holographic stuff. It's I'm excited about that, but it's it does make our job harder. But it, it'll be I think what it's doing is definitely you know taking Star Trek into the 21st century and with where things are at and make it feel more modern. And when we get around to being able to do that kind of stuff, it'll be nice. It looks nice, and it's in a lot of ways it's easier because as an environment artist, I wouldn't have to model buttons and whatnot. I just, hey, hey UI artist, generate a screen and we'll turn it on, and then you know, Weston can animate little blah 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 stuff. Oh yeah, like those advertisements. Those were so cool. You're just sitting there, and it just comes up. It's like I was watching Blade Runner. Wait, which advertisements? You know when they were. When they got to uh, Free Cloud and all those advertisements showed up for each one of them, except for, you know, uh, Elnor. Elnor just had really great spam blocking. That's all he had. That's all <laughs> really good antivirus. You know, again, it's, it's it, you know, 10 years of Star Trek Online. How do you feel about that, right? Now, I, my understanding is neither of you have been there for the 10 years, right? No, I, I've been there. I'll be, it'll be five years in May. I mean, that's still that's still half the life of the of, of the game. Yeah. You know, when I, we I asked this of Al and I said, you know, do you have, I don't know, like a journal or a, your own captain's log of of memories that you might have written down from your first day, from your first week. And now you look back on going, ooh, things are things are much different. Al said that he uses priority one for that, which is fun. I'm, I'm OK being his captain. Look at log. him. Wow. <laughs> Good job, Al. Um, Weston, why don't, you, why don't you go ahead first? Because the thing about Weston, which I love, is Weston has played the game before he worked on the game. So I, I didn't play the game. but so to, And uh, Jet, who I, I don't know if you have interviewed Jet before. She, she's been on the live stream, I believe. Just your guys' live stream. I don't think she's come on the show ever. Well, she was, oh my gosh. I love hearing her story because she was a huge fan of the game and, I, and I've talked with her before and I've sat down and I said what does it feel like to work on something that you've loved so much and she said this really neat thing where she said you know what it's weird because I work with people that were heroes of mine she worked with you know she was a fan of Nick's what Nick would have done Nick's one of our environment artists and Thomas who is our shippers 
and she was a huge fan of their work and now she works with them all the time and i could just you could see it in her face how excited she was about that and i don't know weston if you kind of still have you feel the same way about no i mean it is the same way you know when i first started working here it was hilarious because i i knew everyone by their twitter tags more than i knew their names like hey that's thomas the cat hey that's spartan hey that's gecko i know you (laughs) to be here for the 10th anniversary i'm it's an honor more than anything i started playing back in 2012 uh when the game went free to play i still regret that i didn't know what that what the winter event was because i missed out on my dang ferengi ship but um (laughs) i'm sure you can get one now if you want i'm pretty sure you can send an email yeah Yeah. i can but (laughs) but no it's it's an amazing experience and it's an amazing honor to work with such talented people and on an amazing game that I have such a passion for and that everyone that I work with has a passion for as well, like Jet and Scott and Nick and just Thomas and everyone. It's amazing. I, I, I can't really think of better ways to describe it than that. And you're carving, you know, your own corner of canon in Star Trek, you know? It's, I can't imagine, you know, we, we I say it every week that, you know, we are, we're, we're carving our own little podcast corner for Star Trek uh, but you guys are creating stories you, for eight years, seven years. You guys were Star Trek because there was no tele, you know, there's no series. This, if you wanted to True. continue living in in the Star Trek universe, Star Trek Online was your way to do it. And and with captivating storytelling and, and amazing arcs and plots. And here you are 10 years later. Now, now you're intertwined with what's happening on screen. Oh my gosh. And you know, we've we've had those meetings where we've talked with, you know, IDW and CBS about are there ways to incorporate some of what we've done online into whether the comic books or uh, the TV shows. So, uh, it's not beyond the realm of possibility for either one of those. So, um yeah, that's super exciting. And I will say for me, my, for the, you know, my experience is more, you know, I love Star Trek, but I I love the people that I work and I get to every day be at work, to be working with people that I know love Star Trek a lot and that are just good people and being at a studio that takes care of us and that cares about people rather than the bottom line. I wanted to be here for a long time and it took a few years to get here. And now that I've been, I'm at this studio and working on this project that I love, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to go anywhere else. So I'm really excited about being a part of that when they were talking about the 10th year anniversary, I'm like, this is got to do something really cool. Now, when and when Al presented what he was going to do, it's like, that's really cool. How the how the crap are we going to do that? Because it's it was daunting. It was hard, and um, but we did it. And I think it was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and we were able to do an amazing story and get some amazing. Cast, cast members in there and just do some stuff that I knew that when they they approached the they, they brought that idea up the fans were going to lose lose it over it especially when Lincoln and the Excalbians oh my gosh they're going to freak the heck out oh yeah so Lincoln bringing Lincoln to life it was funny one of our QA people we were in our meeting and she said I just read and we had our, we had talked about doing Lincoln so I just read on Reddit that someone asked when are you going to bring Lincoln into the game and we're in the meeting we're just like <laughs> just just wait just wait it's coming oh so, and yeah that was super fun to be able to do that 
Cat, you mentioned earlier the the top hats, and that seemed to have triggered some sort of emotional response from you, Scott. What 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 about the top hats was? It's it's not the top hat. It's the act. So one of our our environment artists just uh, over the weekend, he's like, you know what? We were, we we're talking about uh, you know Lincoln being a vampire hunter. Like he needs an act, and so that that's all we said. We didn't say anything of we were gonna do it or anything. And then, so David went over the weekend, he brought it in on Monday and we're like, that's cool. I don't know what we're gonna do with it. Like, you know what, let me go talk to Al and see if we can get this in the game. So he built it, he built the, the axe. He built the axe okay. and then we sent, we sent it over, he built it and created, and he was just gonna stick it into a log post, into a, he was just gonna, he put a log in the middle of the Excalibur area and he just put uh, a log, uh, a tree stump. And he put the log in there. We were trying to find that. I was like, there's a tree stump and we couldn't find it. I th- he took it out because oh. it, it was more of just kind of a, hey, here's, we're putting it in the game just kind of let people see it. And then when Al saw it and I was kind of forcing him, like, dude, we got we to gotta make a weapon. We got to make this a weapon. And he said, okay, let's try it. And then um, Weston took uh, some Neverwinter animations and made an attack for that guy. How, how was that working on that attack? I kind of did that without actually telling anyone at the time. <laughs> kind of, kind of, kind of like. A... So Weston's walking around, walking around the offices, just chopping things like <laughs> while he's doing the motion cap. Yeah, the, uh, I was able to grab some animations from Neverwinter since we share animation libraries, um, and I was able to put those into the game. And I go over to Jeremy and tell him like, "Hey, so the axe has uh, has custom animations." He's like, "What?" <laughs> so, so that was that was a uh, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, and then so being able to do that, so to watch Lincoln fight with an axe, we we're like, yes, this is totally gonna work. And then they said, and then Ryan, who's a designer, said, that I think we're gonna make that's gonna be the giveaway. We're gonna give that away once you finish the mission. So right when I finished the mission, that was the first thing I said was, I'm that's my my melee weapon is the axe. I gotta have that. <laughs> so, so good. And it's there's a if you look at it, there's a presidential seal on the axe. David put that on the on the head of the axe. There's a little presidential seal on there. The fact that this was not designed didn't come and say we're going to do this. This was an artist who took, he wanted to see it in the game, and then it just took the team to kind of come together and say, all right, let's do it. And so I always talk about David. I said, that's you. I go by David and I'm all, that was you. I, I have to, I got an axe now because you wanted it in the game. So proud of that guy. You mentioned something earlier. Weston, you're not just making animations for the cutscenes. These You're making animations for the characters every action for the for characters so if a new power comes in that's you yep that is correct every everything and ships too and yeah, emotes ships too. too yep every every oh everything that's animated in our game now at this point that is amazing because those emotes are awesome <laughs> one of the first things that he did that that's how weston introduced himself to the company heck yeah was he did these kind of like he did the thriller dance and he did all these yes. like yes yeah so he he show and he makes a video so we're showing him in the team meetings and we're like who is this guy <laughs> and yeah it was like all right we got we got to we got to pay attention to this guy, and he did. He did. There were so many dance emotes at that time. I remember Rakosa uh, went and called that. Our our stand up that day was STO the musical. I remember <laughs> that. Amazing. <laughs> but he does all that, and he does ships too. So um, the Section Thirty One ship came out, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So he, Weston, want to talk about what you did with that ship? That was uh, just like with most animated ships that we have. That was an interesting beast to tackle. 
from the show, you see that in thousands of these little dro- drone ships come up and peel off the ship. Obviously, we can't do that. <laughs> so we had to come up with a with a unique way to, to make it look like you could do that. And the way that we, we ended up determining that was back during uh, Victory's life, there was a swarm of Herc ships that you would see in the background sometimes. Of a, it looked like a cluster of about like 50 of them or so. So we took that rig applied each one of those ships to be five of the smaller Section 31 drone ships, and then sectupled the number of ships again from peeling off of that. So you have literally what looks like thousands of these little drone ships flying around your main ship, all doing that. So that was a huge collaboration project between myself, Chris, Thomas, Donnie. Um, geez, I think, didn't some people on the environment also work on that? Uh, no, it was mostly effects. Donnie did that. Donnie made the ship. Chris worked on the effect as a transition. And oh, Ian Richards. Ian Richards also did something. And Donnie made the material because you had to have all the stuff kind of peel off. So each one of those little drones is essentially its own like ship, its own ass. It's not like I, I imagined or thought that it was almost like a like a two-dimensional layer. Like if you put a, a layer of, how do I, how do I, I am not a um, visual I artist. mean, I, I, they are cards. Yeah, they are cards. So each ship is a group of five uh, of them. Okay, okay. Um, but... Little flat planes, but because they're so small and, and you, you have like a normal map and you do all this kind of trickery in there, it makes it feel three-dimensional in some ways. But... Yeah, but they are individual ships in a sense because each one of those groups of five, there's, yeah, there's, there's at least 300 individual bones that are rotating around your ship that are purely animated at that time whenever that ability is active that was a very interesting thing to go and get working took a lot of mathematics you know i was thinking just now we're you know we're going through the battle of binary stars that opening animation where we're waiting for the sarcophagus ship to fire is that you too weston you know is that that's all you mean the you mean the 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 opening shot yeah yeah opening shot the the in between actually no that's that's not me that was uh, that was chris called that the yamato cannon don't we? Oh, 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 the effect itself. The, yeah, okay. that, that was Chris. He made okay. that. Yeah, the cutscenes, though, that the cutscene that you have happened in the middle of the mission, that's... The, uh, the cleaver ship going into... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's all West. That's really... Before we wrap up, before we close out, we have, you know, I, I kind of want to ask a little bit about looking into the, the, the future uh, for Star Trek Online. You know, we've just celebrated its 10-year anniversary. Uh, we've got First Contact Day coming up. What are you looking forward to this year? I am looking, well, that's a loaded question. Uh, I'm looking forward to going outside. Yes. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how people react to some of our new content. It's different. It's really exciting. I'm, I'm doing the same thing I did last time we talked where I'm like, I'm, I'm, I know they're going to be, they're going to be excited about it, but it's, I can't talk about it. People are going to be really excited about where we are going with the story arcs. I will say Al, who really kind of is the champion for our stories. He's such a fan of, of the show. So he really is kind of, um, he's doing a good job of leading us. I know the arc that we're currently working on and I know where we're going and I know where we're going. I've wanted to go for a long time. And so I'm, Super excited about that, and I can't say a word about it. So just <laughs> trust me; it's gonna be cool. I have to. I'd have to say the same thing. Um, where we're going with the future, I think, is gonna be something that players are gonna really enjoy because I don't think too many people are probably expecting it. Um, okay. Like, oh, exciting! Wow. I yeah. love first contact day. <laughs> there, there is there is one thing 
I will I will say about First Contact Day without actually saying anything is that there's one thing that's going to be included in First Contact Day that I know only a very small amount of players that have really been with the game for a long, long time will remember when it when it comes out. Dude, I don't even know what you're talking about. So wow. <laughs> that, that's cool. Go ahead. Go well, then. There's there's going to be some cool Easter egg stuff in first contact i just be really excited i'm super excited about it it's yeah be ready for it cat did you have any questions burning questions you want to ask before we wrap up just that i love what you guys have been doing i really do <laughs> well thank you we love doing it so and of course we leave the mic open to you anything we didn't cover that you want to talk about uh before we wrap up and let you go no, you guys are very thorough. I'm glad. I'm, thank you. Thank you. Well, Scott, Weston, thank you both so very much for joining us on this very special episode of Priority One Podcast. It's always a blast to have you both on because really you capture Star Trek so well in your storytelling and bringing these missions to life, bringing the, you know, everything is just so nuanced and so masterfully crafted. Thank you both. Thank you to your entire team. You guys do such remarkable work. Thank you so very much. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. Well, that wraps up episode 454 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all. And... Be sure to share them with your friends. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like Diana Gunther, Darnell Dwayne Ross, David K. Rutley, Joshua Selig, and Peter Archibald. And before we go, here are our community questions for the week. Did you have plans to attend Destination Star Trek Germany? What about other conventions throughout the year, like STLV? Will you still be attending? Also, in gaming... What Star Trek Online duty officer is your go-to officer? One that you must have for every build you run. And of course, we encourage you to share with us your Stow Academy links. Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, me, and the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you cannot make a financial contribution, the next best thing you can do is spread the word about our show. Invite your fellow Trekkies to to get their weekly roundup and review of the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse right here. It's your support that keeps us going. And don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And we're celebrating our 300th episode, so be sure to check that out for sure. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time 
time that it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our special guests this week, Star Trek Online's lead artist, Scott Boyd, and animator, Weston Pierce. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, William, Brandon, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, and associate producer, Shane Hoover, for assisting us in the weekly production of this podcast and for helping us assemble the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith and the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. the destination I can't say destination very well <laughs> it just doesn't sound right coming out of my face physician physician bidet okay well that brings us to our first community question this week did you have plans <laughs> I just bit my tongue <laughs> did you hear yes. it <laughs> <laughs> sounded painful Sorry to laugh. That was terrible. But it was funny. This week in Armada News, if you weren't aware, we have an event going on Thursdays. So join us for TFO Thursdays on Thursdays, (laughs) where we team up with... Let me start it. No, that was good. No, that was fine. That was good. It was fine. It was fine. It was fine. I've had drinks. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.